he's tachycardic, he's hypoxic, and he's rigoring pretty bad. The patient is under a mountain of warm blankets. You can barely see his face sticking out of this thing with a non-rebreather mask on, and he's got this big fake fur blanket over the top of him, and the whole mountain of blankets is just shaking like crazy. Full body shaking, uncontrollably, all arms, legs, trunk, everything is shaking, and the patient can't get a break. So we peel back some of the blankets, and he doesn't have any rash, he doesn't have like hives, but his heart rate's in the 150s, He's satting in the high 70s on this non-rebreather and he's speaking to us like one or two words at a time in broken sentences. This guy's struggling. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that is a scary scene. Hey there. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. Welcome back to the Rapid Response Nurse Podcast. I'm excited today to welcome my guest, a fellow Rapid Response Nurse from across the country, Montana. Welcome. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So we have a really interesting case to share with you today. To be completely honest, chemotherapy reactions kind of make me nervous because they are so unpredictable and just not my expertise. Like I can run ACLS all day long, but you know, there's a clear way to treat whatever rhythm might arise. I know resuscitation drugs forward and backwards, but chemotherapy, I can't pronounce half of them and I definitely don't know how they work or what symptoms are like par for the course and which ones are concerning. So shout out to all the chemo nurses, the oncology nurses out there who have this expertise. We are so grateful for you. I've only responded to like a handful of these in my career and I've leaned heavily on the oncology team to know how to treat the patient. So when Montana shared with me this case that he responded to, I had to share with all of you. So Montana, before we get into the case, can you just take a second to introduce yourself and share your nursing journey, how you got into rapid response nursing? So nursing is actually my third career. I worked in outdoors, sporting goods retail with my family growing up. And then I was a river guide for eight years before I was a nurse. So when I got into rapid response and I realized that the slang term for doing a rapid response was running a rapid, I was like, oh my God, this is definitely it. This <laughs> is something me. different in <laughs> your previous uh, job. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been a nurse now for 10 years. And the last five years of that, I've been doing rapid response as a full-time position. My first job was inpatient rehab right out of nursing school. And I did that for a little while. Eventually it was what they called a designated charge nurse at the time. So I was a charge every single shift. And because it was a standalone hospital, I was like the house supervisor and staffing and security and the rapid response nurse all at once, which was actually pretty fun. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Just everything for that place at night. But I always wanted to do ICU ever since nursing school. So the first chance I got, I jumped in, took a job in a 14-bed ICU, went from the bottom of the acuity scale right up to the top in a medium-sized hospital, like 200-ish bed hospital. And I did that for three years. And it really wasn't even on my radar to do rapid response. And somebody one day was just like, hey, you should do this. I'm like, what? Really? Me? These are like the rock stars of the hospital. Uh, could I do this? And I didn't really realize at the time, but retroactively, like once I'd been in the role for a year or so, I was looking back and I was like, oh, oh, now I see how this happened for me. When I was working in the ICU, they wanted me to be the charge nurse. And I was like, no, I'm over that. I did that in my last job. I really just want to be here and be at the bedside and have the glory of doing all the bedside care. So when I told them hard no, I wouldn't charge. They just made me permanent preceptor. So I'm precepting every day. I've got students. I'm precepting all their new nurses. And I get all the hardest patients. Every day I'm getting the sickest people. And I'm teaching people all the time. But I made a name for myself taking care of the sickest people and being a teacher. And that's what really got me recommended for rapid response was all that time being a teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. Those two skill sets, I think, are so valuable in the rapid response role. So, yeah, I can see how you just kind of ended up funneling into the rapid response position. That's awesome. So let's talk about this case. Montana, can you just walk us through the emergency you responded to, like set the scene for us? What did you see when you entered the room? Because you don't get any information when you show up. You just walk in the door and here's your patient. Tell us all about it. So this was a case from a couple years ago that didn't really go well for the team or for the patient. I learned some things about on this case and that'd be a good case to break down and maybe your listeners can learn from some of my mistakes. So the calls comes in from security. It's rapid response and the oncology outpatient infusion it's at the end of their day, it's the last patient, and he's having a reaction to a chemo drug I've never heard of before. The patient is a 72-year-old male. He's got leukemia. The nurse tells me he's tachycardic, he's hypoxic, and he's rigoring pretty bad. And she can't get a hold of the doctor. Okay. So I show up, and the patient is under a mountain of warm blankets. You can barely see his face sticking out of this thing with a non-rebreather mask on, and he's got this big fake fur blanket over the top of him, and the whole mountain of blankets is just shaking like crazy. Real easy to Uh, assess the patient who's wrapped in blankets, right? Nice. (laughs) Yeah, right? So we peel back some of the blankets, and he doesn't have any rash. He doesn't have, like, hives, but his heart rate's in the 150s. He's sitting in the high 70s on this non-rebreather, and he's speaking to us like one or two words at a time in broken sentences. This guy's struggling. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that is that is a scary scene. All right, so you see that. What were your biggest concerns initially? What was the team that showed up? What was their biggest concerns? So first, I want to talk about rigors. Uh, rigors, I think it's properly pronounced. I see this not frequently, But a lot of people have never seen it before, including a lot of providers. And it's as uncomfortable for the patient as it looks. It feels just as terrible as it looks. But it's really just a symptom. Rigors is your body trying really hard to mount a febrile response. And it's usually in response to an infection of some sort. We see this a lot after people have like a drain exchange or they have a new drain placed in some gnarly abscess. Your body is feeling that infection all over again and it's reacting very quickly 
thrown up a big inflammatory response, big serous response, and it's trying to get fever out. Quite simply, your hypothalamus is trying to make a fever. But rigors isn't like a kid who played in the ocean for too long and they get out and their teeth are chattering and they're shivering a little bit. Rigors is like full body shaking, uncontrollably, all arms, legs, trunk, everything is shaking and the patient can't get a break. And I've taken two patients to the ICU for rigors that really didn't need to be there. They were not unstable just because the provider was so freaked out by the rigors that they wanted to get the patient the heck out of there. But I've only actually taken care of two patients that became hemodynamically unstable from the rigors, and this is actually one of those cases. Treatment for rigors is symptomatic. The patient having, they're shaking, we need to get them some Tylenol, they're having a fever, and we need to stop the shaking. And in my experience, Demerol or Mepridine is the silver bullet for this. It just shuts it down. And then whatever the, whatever the cause is, is this an infection? Keep them on their antibiotics, or in this case, um, is this a reaction to a drug? Stop the drug, treat the reaction. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so yeah. when he was having his rigors, was his hypoxia just because he was using so much energy and like his lungs couldn't keep up basically? Or was this like anaphylaxis, airway closing kind of hypoxia? Like what was going on with him? So this guy's shortness of breath seemed to just be related to activity intolerance. He's not complaining of angioedema. He, he doesn't have any wheezing that I can hear. He's just so weak and so puny from cancer treatment that he just simply can't sustain this level of activity. His body is not up for it. And he's slowly gotten to this point by just working himself up to the point where he, he just can't sustain, his body can't sustain this activity. My goodness. So we turn up the oxygen, crank up the O2, get a stable oxygen saturation. The guy's heart rate is 150. He's, his heart is just going as fast as it can with this. And I think we got an EKG. It was pretty terrible because he was shaking yeah, How so would you bad. get an they EKG? Were, <laughs> so much artifact. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much artifact. It was pretty terrible, but it was sinus. Uh, we could okay. tell it's sinus. They're like, okay, he's not having an arrhythmia. He's just working really hard at this. So you uh, have this patient that's like full body shaking hypoxic. Did the non-rebreather fix his oxygen saturation? Yeah, we get his oxygen okay. saturation up, All right, good. but we need to treat this guy's reaction. And this nurse can't get a hold of the doctor. Uh, we need drugs and we can't get orders. And rapid response in our hospital doesn't include a provider. There's in our policies and procedures, there's no provider that has carte blanche over every patient in the whole hospital. We have residents there, but we don't have like consistent resident coverage. They're not here 24 hours a day. Sometimes we have intensivist residents. Sometimes we have internal medicine residents. Like it's not, we're not a teaching hospital, so they're not always around so they can just show up and they don't have carte blanche, like I said. So there's a lot of different models for rapid response and the team looks a little bit different everywhere you go. The worst one that I've ever heard of is a traveling nurse told me the one hospital she worked at, the entire code blue team showed up for every rapid response. So you can imagine all of those people show up and your patient's having a hard time breathing and the ER doc's like, what do you mean you call the rapid response because he's having dyspnea? Like that <laughs> nurse is never going to call another rapid response until her patient right. is actually coding. Right. Um, yeah, that's not good so, for culture. 
Yeah, our hospital went the opposite direction. And our rapid response team looks like me, an intensive care trained nurse, and an intensive care trained respiratory therapist. Just two of us, no big deal. We'll show up. If your patient's just a little short of breath, we can turn the oxygen up. We can help you troubleshoot that. No big deal. Call our rapid response anytime you want. But, but it also means you can't this order patient, Demerol. <laughs> so. I can't order Demerol. And this patient needs a doctor that can order Demerol. And we don't have one. So in our hospital, if you're an outpatient or if you're a visitor and you're having an emergency, you go to the ER and get seen by a provider there. So we, yeah. we're going to take this guy to the ER. Yeah, great. There's doctors there. Let's do it. Load them up. <laughs> yeah. So what I want to do for this patient is I want to give him Benadryl and Solumedrol to shut down his body's response to this drug reaction. And I want to give him Demerol so that he stops shaking and feels a little better. But we need we can't give him that. So we take him to the ER and he's going to see a doctor down there. They're going to order the drugs. He's going to discharge home. Everything's going to be fine. Okay, good plan. I mean, it's quite a scene, though, to transport a patient in Rigers down the hallway to the ER. So I'm sure it was an ordeal to get him there. But sounds like the best plan. If I was in your shoes, I would have done the same thing. What did the team in the ER decide was his type of reaction? And then what did they end up doing about it? Hey there, I've got some exciting news to share and I can't wait to tell you about it. So if you're multitasking, come back to me because this is something you won't want to miss. You may already be familiar with my one hour rapid response and rescue course, a quick dive into approaching critical patients. I'm thrilled to receive such positive feedback from nurses who found it valuable, but I'm not stopping there. I've been hard at work developing a more comprehensive, in-depth course. However, the more I work on it, the more I realize that I want to offer more than just another course to purchase. Reflecting on my years as an educator, what I truly cherish is the opportunity to interact with nurses in real time, breaking down complex concepts, mentoring, inspiring, coaching, and supporting nurses as they navigate the challenges of our profession. Teaching and empowering nurses is close to my heart. Over my 20 years in the field, I've amassed a wealth of clinical knowledge that I'm committed to sharing with nurses. But there's more to being a great nurse than just understanding pathophysiology. Through trial and error myself, I've gained other valuable skills related to leadership, advocacy, resilience, which I believe can be beneficial to all nurses. So here's the plan for 2024. I wanna create a community of dedicated nurses who invest in themselves so that they can deliver exceptional patient care. This won't be just me recording myself for a podcast. I wanna teach live, address your questions and provide a platform for nurses to support one another. I'm calling it Rapid Response Academy, the heart and science of caring for the sick. Members will enjoy weekly live lessons, a community forum for questions and personal interaction with me to better understand your needs and support you on your journey. This is uncharted territory and I'm excited to explore it together. I'll be soft launching on December 1st to get to know the initial members. So those who sign up before December will receive a 25% discount and play a pivotal role in shaping the community from the ground up. The sign-up list opens on Friday, November 24th. If you're excited about more in-depth teaching, access to a supportive community of like-minded nurses, and the chance to be a part of our founding group, I'd love to have you on board. If you want to learn more about what I'm building, I put a link in the show notes for you. Now, let's get back to today's episode. So, 
So we decided this was just an infusion reaction. You can have lots of different kinds of reactions to these chemo drugs, including an anaphylactic reaction. It is possible to have an anaphylactic reaction to a chemo agent. The platinum type drugs are particularly prone to this. And for some of those, if they are having a real reaction, but this is the best kind of medication to treat their cancer, this is going to give them the best chance at survival. What they'll do is they'll go in and they'll do like a desensitization kind of thing where the patient comes in and gets a little tiny dose one day, and then we come back the next day and we give them a little bit more and same deal. Yeah, they're treated with pre-medicated with everything. The nurse has got epinephrine in her pocket. It sounds terrifying to me. I joke with our oncology nurses that if anywhere else in the hospital, their patient had a reaction like this, we would just slap that drug on their allergies list and we would never give it again. But in oncology, this might be their very best shot. So we're going to schedule them tomorrow morning and give it again at 9 a.m. And hopefully it goes better tomorrow. And it generally does because these patients get desensitized to these things. Um, In most cases, it's not a true anaphylactic reaction, so it's not that big a deal. We pre-medicate them, we give them some more Zofran tomorrow, and they they take the drug again, and it it really is better tomorrow. But even if it is an anaphylactic thing, we might get an allergist involved and do a desensitization protocol so that they can get this drug. Because these infusion reactions are mediated by antibodies and mast cells, just like an allergic reaction, we treat them with the same drugs. Uh, We treat them the same way. And it's good to remember here, we aren't all chemo nurses. We don't all give chemo, but all of our patients can have allergic reaction to what we're giving them. So what you need to know is if your patient looks like they're having a reaction, treat it like an allergic reaction and realize that not all providers are comfortable treating allergic reactions. So you need to know what a reaction looks like and you need to know how to treat it because the doctor you're working with might not know. Uh, I've walked into a lot of rapid responses where the patient's having an allergic reaction and the doctor gives me the rundown on what the agent is they think it is and that he's given them some Benadryl IV and I'm like, that sounds great. Have we thought about trying some steroids and an H2 blocker? And he's like, uh, yeah, what he said. What's the dose again? In a lot of places in the hospital and a lot of outpatient medicine or just specialists, they're not really comfortable treating these things. So have it on the top of your head, what your plan is and what you're going to do, because the provider might need your help with this. So the first thing about these kind of, about any reaction is ABCs. Just like everything else, I tell everybody who orients with me, whether they're a student or I'm orienting a fellow rapid response nurse, tell them all the same thing. Keep it simple. A, B, C, just like they teach in BLS class, every time I walk into an emergency, it's airway, breathing, circulation. If all three of those are okay and they aren't having a stroke, we can take a deep breath, we can unclench your sphincter and relax. We've got time to fully assess our patient. We're gonna get some imaging, we're gonna get some labs, we're gonna sort this out. But if you walk in and the patient looks like they're having an anaphylactic reaction, we got a problem. This could become an airway and a breathing issue or a circulation issue if their blood pressure's in the toilet or all three at the same time. We have to react, we have to react right now. The first thing you do for anybody who's having an infusion reaction, no matter if it's a chemo drug or an antibiotic, is you stop the infusion right away. We need to remove the agent they're reacting to and flush the line. Second, decide, is this an anaphylactic kind of reaction? Are we hearing strider? Are we hearing wheezing? Do they have angioedema? Is their tongue getting bigger? Are they covered in hives? 
or is their blood pressure in the toilet? Are they experiencing hemodynamic collapse? If that's the case, we need to get the epi, get it into it right now. The normal dose is 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams intramuscularly, uh, not IV, and get it just as soon as you possibly can. Sarah did a great episode anaphylaxis. If you haven't heard that already, look that up for a deep dive into anaphylaxis patho and treatment. So next, or if this isn't an anaphylactic reaction, we start by treating the reaction with antihistamines. Uh, usually IV Benadryl, 25 to 50 milligrams, which is an H1 blocker, and then famotidine, which is less well-known, or Pepsid, give it to our patients all the time, 20 milligrams IV, it's an H2 blocker. Uh, so we're hitting some different receptors there to, to really knock down the reaction. Then we give steroids. Uh, the usual dose is 120 milligrams of IV solumedrol, but that can vary a little bit depending on the type of reaction. If it's an airway issue, a lot of providers prefer Decadron, but get some steroids into your patient. That's also going to stop their body's immune response and shut down their reaction. Finally, we're going to treat the symptoms. Tylenol for fever, Zofran for nausea, get the patient feeling better. So for this patient, because he didn't have itching or hives, he had a stable blood pressure, he wasn't experiencing hemodynamic collapse like anaphylaxis. He did have some respiratory stuff going on, but it didn't fit within the parameters for an anaphylactic reaction. He was just out of breath. He didn't have angioedema. He didn't have wheezing. We get this guy down to the emergency room. It's pretty chaotic. We've got the patient in a wheelchair. We've got his wife. We've got the rapid response team. We've got the bedside nurse. Somewhere along the way, we picked up the resource nurse and we drop him into the bed and the entire ER team, the ER doc, the pharmacist, the ER techs, descend on this patient in this tiny little ER room. We're trying to explain to the doc, we just need some Benadryl and some steroids and some Demerol. We'll get this guy feeling better. And he's looking at the ER pharmacist asking, what is pegasperase? And he's trying to tell us that no one uses Demerol anymore and they don't even keep it in the department. Luckily for the patient, he's fully febrile now. And usually once patients are febrile, they've mounted that febrile response, they stop shaking. So his rigors are starting to let up. But all this chaos is not expediting the treatment of the reaction. This is definitely one of those cases where having more hands does not accomplish any more. We do eventually get this patient what he needs. He feels better, discharges home from the ER, having had a very eventful chemo treatment. Oh, my gosh. And he might have to go back tomorrow or next week for the same medication. Terrifying. I, I'm trying to imagine the scene of, like, the chaos caravan going down the hallway to the ER, like all of those, the resources, the ICU charge, you, respiratory therapy, the patient and the Rigers, like I've been there, definitely had those types of rap response calls. So it was like the collision yeah. of two chaos caravans um, crashing into each other is really yeah. kind of what oh, it was like Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then the whole ER team added to the chaos, like I, I totally know what you're talking about. So now that this whole scary situation is behind you, is there anything that you have learned from this particular case or anything that you would want, say, like a newer nurse to take away from this emergency? So this is a pretty traumatic experience for this patient. He came in to get a routine chemo treatment. We're going to save your life. Uh, we're going to give you this drug. It's not very comfortable. Um, and he ends up getting toted down to the ER and descended on by a million people. This was a really rough treatment for him. Um, and in my mind, it's really important to aggressively treat chemo reactions because 
these people need to come back and get another treatment. And some of these treatments for cancer are really tough. They're so hard on people. The only difference between being tortured in the basement somewhere and getting your chemo infusion in the basement of the cancer center is just that a nice nurse brings it to you and she's nice and brings you a warm blanket while you get it. Um, In another setting with somebody who's meaner, this could definitely count as torture. So we need to do everything we can to treat these and make this as tolerable for the patient as we can because cancer is already hard enough and these treatments are already hard enough. If we want this patient to keep coming back and keep getting treatment, we're going to have to do everything we can to make this easier for the patient. So because this was such a rough experience for this patient, there's an investigation and they look into the incident and what they realized was neither the bedside nurse nor myself knew that our hospital has a chemo reaction protocol and that we could have written for epinephrine or Benadryl or Pepsid or Zofran or Demerol or morphine or virtually anything that this patient could have wanted for protocol. We could have just gone and gotten it out of the med machine and given him just about anything we wanted. Um, It's a really aggressive policy, but the nurse was newer to the oncology. It's the end of the day. So she's all alone in the infusion center. I'm not an onc nurse. I don't know anything about chemo. These things just have a lot of syllables and they can cause problems with virtually any system of the body. That's what I know about chemo. So what we needed to do is we needed to use our whole team. And that means bringing in your friends, call an expert. The team is different every single time. I've been in some rapid responses where the patient simply had a seizure or they got nauseous and they threw up all over the place. And the people in that scenario that actually did the patient the most good and they were most helpful were the team of CNAs that came and cleaned the patient up and helped them brush their teeth and got them in a fresh gown and fresh linens and made them feel like a human again. Like the hero can be different every time. And who we needed was the oncology charge nurse who was an expert at chemo to weigh in and tell us what to do. Um, and they were right down the hall. We just didn't call them for for info. Montana, you bring up some really, really good points. I just want to take a minute to echo them. So he said about the hero in the room, it's not always like, you know, the doctor writing the orders or the person placing the ET tube. Sometimes it's multiple people. And like you said, the CNA that's getting the patient cleaned up and giving them their dignity back or the chaplain on the side who's taking care of the family who's scared in this moment. Like all of us play such a valuable role and intervening the situation. So it's not just like one person is a hero that and sometimes it's the people you wouldn't typically expect as like the hero in the room. So I love that. I love that so much. And then also lesson for all of us, but especially those of us that respond to emergencies is know who your resources are, right? That chemo charge nurse, I'm sure knew about the protocol and you're just like, get to the ER, get to the ER, understandably so, but man, what a great learning experience. You telling me about this case actually made me go to the oncology director of my hospital and be like, what do we have in place here? What is our process? And she told me all about the epinephrine at the bedside and the protocol for this. And Demerol is stocked only on the chemo floor at my hospital, nowhere else. There's so many things that I learned about what to do if this were to happen you know, to me next week. So yeah, thank you for sharing the story because there's a lot we can take away, not just understanding chemotherapy reactions, but just as a whole, What are our priorities as a team? Looking at the ABCs of the patient, pull back the covers and assess them to see what's the source of the problem and thinking about like, how can we utilize our resources to do what's best for this person? You you nailed 100%. Is there anything else that you feel like we should add to this discussion? No, I don't think so. I think that sounds pretty good. So I'll just throw in 
thank you for having me on, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to chat with you and share ideas. I feel like in my day-to-day work at the hospital, I see so many different people and I talk to so many different disciplines, except for my fellow rapid response nurses. The only time I ever see another one of them is in reports. So it's so good to, to chat and share ideas and learn from each other. I agree. Yes. Thank you so much for reaching out to tell me about the crazy, this crazy story. And again, the camaraderie between our response nurses is, is always appreciated. All right, Montana, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing the story. I hope that it helps my listeners and that they are better prepared if their patient has a chemotherapy reaction. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport. So trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing, and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN.